Thank you for tuning in to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. We're a church in Lakewood, Washington, and whether you're listening from around the corner or from around the world, we're glad that you're here. We hope this sermon equips you to be the Christian the world needs today. If you'd like to learn more about us, head on over to lakewoodgrace.com. And now, for this week's sermon. Our text today comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And like Pastor Brad said, we're going to be in chapter 15 talking about the resurrection for four total weeks. Uh, today we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. Listen now to God's word to you and to me. Now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, This is what we preach, and this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, so the title of today's sermon is Nothing Else Matters. Nothing Else Matters Except This. So before we get into the detail of our text, this reading is a perfect passage to show us and teach us how we're supposed to read the entire Bible and study the Bible. And as you know, there are all kinds of different books, right? You've got, uh, you've got novels, you've got uh, reference books, there's books that are a collection of different authors. But most novels, most novels and most books are telling a particular story. They're telling one narrative, one story. And from beginning to end, the book is building up to the climax of the story. And they all point to a final aha that solves everything, right? That's the way books are written. And it's no different with the Bible. The Bible is a collection of different authors, get this, that span thousands of years. It is a collection of more than several dozen authors that span over thousands of years. But this book is telling one singular story. 
The entire Bible tells one story. What story is that? It's the story of a God who loves sinners. The story of a God who loves sinners who reject the Creator. It's the story of a God who loves sinners who rebel against God's ways, against sinners who betray the beloved, sinners who, who prostitute themselves by following after other gods and other loves, sinners who not only do these things, but then repeatedly do them over and over again. And it is this God's story of this God pursuing sinners. And here's the reason why God pursues sinners. Because God could not imagine an eternity without you in it. When God thought of eternity, God could not imagine an eternity without you in it. And so what does God do? Because sin separates us from God. And, and so what does God do? God makes a way. His, and he sends his own son. He sends himself to die on the cross, to descend into hell, to rise again, to reconcile sinners and to transform them into saints. God does all this because he could not imagine and eternity without you in it. And the story of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the apex of God's story. All of God's story points to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The significance of the resurrection only makes sense in light of this book. Because from Genesis to Revelation, this book is talking about the resurrection and the death of Jesus. And in the same way, the only way to read the Bible is through the lens of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of the Bible points to the cross and the empty tomb. And the cross and the empty tomb, you're supposed to read Genesis to Revelation with the lens of the resurrection. That's how you read this book. And that's the only way this book makes sense. Now, our text is a theological masterpiece of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. For 14 chapters, Paul's been talking about how to live as a Christian, how to live a God-honoring life in an ungodly world. And and the message of Paul's letters, basically, all of Paul's letters start out with a greeting. Hey, hello, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's like, hey, what's up? How you guys doing? And then the very next thing that happens in Paul's letters is after the greeting is like, come on, guys. Stop with the stupid. You're doing a bunch of stupid stuff. Stop with the stupid. And then it always ends with, and oh, Timothy says hi. That's basically Paul's letters in a nutshell is a greeting. Hey, what's up? You guys good? Stop with the stupid, will you? You're doing too much stupid. And then it ends with, oh, and Timothy says hi. That's all of Paul's letters. Now, chapter 15 that we come across is a masterpiece. Because it's the crux of the Bible. This is the gospel. The resurrection is the gospel. This is the core of not only 1 Corinthians, but all the Christian faith. For all of the Bible points to this reality. 
Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. And Paul wants to be clear that the resurrection is the rock-bottom reality for Christians. It's not a story that he made up. It wasn't symbolic. Jesus didn't symbolically die on the cross and then symbolically rise from the dead. Jesus physically died on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus descended into hell. And then there's an empty tomb. The resurrection of Jesus is the core of the Christian faith. No resurrection, no Christianity. And it just pains me. It just pains me to say, folks, did you know that the Presbyterian Church in 1990, in the 90s, we were a 2 million member denomination? 2020, we are less than a million people. You know what? One of the core reasons why? Half my clergy colleagues do not believe in a bodily resurrection. So if you're ever in a church and they don't point to Jesus and they don't point to an empty tomb and they're not preaching Christ, they're not preaching the forgiveness of sins, run. That's a false gospel. All of the Bible points to Jesus. Jesus on the cross, Jesus in the empty tomb. And without those things, we have no salvation. And Paul wants to be crystal clear that this is the rock-bottom reality for Christians. This is it. And in fact, without the resurrection, without the empty tomb, Jesus can't even live up to his name. Did you know the name Jesus literally means Savior? You can't be Savior without the cross, without the empty tomb. Did you know his title, uh, Christ is not a name. Christ is a title. It's like reverend or pastor or professor. It's a title. Christ literally means the anointed one. The Hebrew word for that word is the Messiah. It means Jesus, Savior of the world, the anointed one. Anointed for what? All of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation points to the anointed one who was set apart in order to die on the cross and rise again from the dead. You take the cross and the resurrection of Jesus away, Jesus can't even be Jesus. He can't be Savior. He can't be the anointed one. He can't be the Christ. And this is the message that Paul announced wherever he went because it's this singular message that changes the world. Hey, check this out, guys. See if you can figure out which of these sayings come from the Bible. I'm going to read you six sayings. See if you can figure out which of these come from the Bible, okay? Guide us in the straight path, number one. Number two, whenever guidance comes to you from me, whoever follows my guidance will never fear, will never grieve. Number three, man is made by belief. As one believes, so he is. Number four, there are three gates to hell. Lust, anger, greed. Renounce these three, three and live. Five, forget injuries, but never forget kindness. Number six, when anger rises, think of the consequences. Which of those come from the Bible? 
Okay. The correct answer is none of them. And here's the thing. What makes Jesus different than Buddha, than Allah, than Confucius, or any other religious leader? What makes Jesus any different? It's not his teachings. Because the first two quotes guide us to the right or the straight path. And whoever, whenever guidance comes to you from me, whoever follows my guidance never will, be, will never fear or grieve. That comes from the Quran. That's Allah. Man is made by belief. As he believes, so he is. There are three gates to hell. Lust, anger, greed. Renounce these three to live. That comes from the Bhagavad Gita, the holy text of the Buddhist religion. Forget injuries. Never forget kindness. When anger rises, think of the consequences. That comes from the holy writings of Confucius. If you do, and here's the problem. We got a bunch of preachers who take the resurrection as a symbolic item who don't believe in a bodily resurrection of Christ. And so therefore, all of this is equivalent to all those other holy writings. It's just wisdom literature. And if all Jesus is is a wise teacher, that wise teacher cannot save. We are dead in our trespasses. We are dead in our sins. He's no different than Allah. He's no different than Buddha. He's no different than Krishna. There is no difference without the resurrection. The singular difference of the Christian faith is that we point to the cross and we point to an empty tomb. There are witnesses who, who have testified to that. And the whole of Scripture points to Jesus. And all of Scripture is about Jesus, the one who dies on the cross, who rises from the dead. That is the rock core foundation of our faith. You take that away, there is no Christianity. Jesus isn't great because he was a wise teacher. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world because there's an empty tomb. No resurrection. No Christian faith. Christianity is not a set of ideas. It's not a path to spirituality. It's not a rule of life. It's not a political agenda. It is the good news about an event that occurred 2,000 years ago and an event because of which the world cannot ever be the same again. It all points to Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb. It's all about the resurrection. It's not some wishful thinking. It's based on facts. Christ died for our sins. All of Scripture, thousands of years of it, point to Jesus and the cross. All of the Old Testament writes about Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Anointed One. And all of the New Testament is the ramifications of the empty tomb. That's how the Bible works. All of the Old Testament prophesies about Christ. All of the New Testament is the ramifications of the empty tomb. And not only does the scriptures testify, there are witnesses. There are witnesses. We're told that there, Paul, Jesus, this resurrected Christ appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to more than 500 who are currently alive. And when Paul was writing the scripture, this letter, 1 Corinthians, there were more than 500 who were alive. And if any one of them said, there is no empty tomb, the dude is still dead, Christianity dies with that. 
But every one of these guys, every one of these witnesses will go to their death. Many of them will be persecuted and put to death because of this resurrection thing. And they will go to the grave because nothing can take away the fact Jesus died, Christ rose again. Now, in, in, this, in this list of things, uh, of people that Jesus appears to, the resurrected Christ, Paul singles out one guy. He has a fantastic name. His name is James. So why does Paul single out James? What's the deal with James? Well, James is a younger brother of Jesus. So check this out. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all the synoptic Gospels, you see Jesus going around teaching and preaching and healing, and people are amazed at his teaching. No one has ever taught like this. And then, like, demons are being cast out. He's healing people. And people are, like, saying, he's the one. He's the Messiah. And Jesus himself keeps referring to himself as the Son of Man, as recorded in Daniel and in, uh, in the Old Testament. And, and, and he finally makes his way to Nazareth, his hometown. And when he gets to his hometown, his brothers and family find out what Jesus has been up to, that he's going around healing people and that he's, he's casting out demons and he's teaching and he's referring himself to himself as the Son of Man. And so here's what his brothers say in Mark chapter, where is that? Mark chapter 3, verse 21. His brothers say, and what's recorded is, when his family heard about this, Jesus teaching, healing, performing miracles, they went to take charge of him. They literally went to take a hold of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. They said, he's crazy. And then what's really surprising is that when we get to the book of Acts, by the time we get to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15, James, the same brother of Jesus, is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So how do you go from, my brother's gone nuts, to my Savior, my Lord? How do you do that? Now, many of you have siblings. And even if you don't have siblings, all of us have parents, right? And no matter how great our parents are, when they wake up in the morning, their breath stinks. When they fart, it smells. When they go to the bathroom, it stinks. And so here's the reason why James thinks Jesus has gone nuts. Because James knows how stinky Jesus' farts are. Jesus was fully human. So when he went to the bathroom, it smelled. And he didn't like going into the bathroom after Jesus. Everyone knew he had the stinkiest poo. He was just like you and me, right? And so he's thinking, dude, this guy that's going around teaching, referring to himself as the son of man, that's my stinky brother. I know how stinky he is. He's gone nuts. So how do you go from he's my stinky brother to Jesus, savior of the world, my Lord and Savior. How do you get there? Because the resurrected Christ appeared to James. 
He saw that guy die on the cross. They buried him in a tomb. Three days later, this guy rises from the grave. And everything that Jesus was saying about himself, everything that the Old Testament said about the Messiah, comes true with the cross and the resurrection. And so James, the younger brother of Jesus, will go to his grave and he will be persecuted and put to death because he refuses to deny the resurrection. You take away the empty tomb, you take away the cross, you got nothing. If you're ever in a church where, you know, have you noticed whether we're preaching out of the Old Testament or the New, every Sunday we get to Jesus? Because the whole thing's about Jesus. If you get to a church and they're not preaching Jesus, the Savior of the world who forgives sins, run away. Because look, Buddha, Allah, Bhagavad Gita, Confucius, they can tell you about how to live a good life. They can tell you about how to manage money. They can tell you about wise living. That's no different. That can't save you from sin. Only the cross, only Christ on the cross and the empty tomb can save you. That's our bedrock foundation of the Christian faith. No resurrection, no Christianity. So I got one takeaway for you today. No resurrection, no Christianity. We're still dead in our sin. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. And Jesus on the cross is the only way to explain the rest of this book. No Christ, the anointed one on the cross, no faith, we're dead in our sins. But thanks be to God who sent his son to die for you and me and rose again from the dead. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Let us pray. Hey God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to worship. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for saving sinners like us. Thank you, God, for the resurrection. Thank you that even in moments when one of our friends and sisters dies, we can not only hope, but know with certainty that Barbara is more alive right now, fully healthy, finally who you created her to be in all your goodness and the total capacity of who Barbara was supposed to be. She's there, and thanks be to God, and it's all because of the resurrection. It's all because of the cross. So thank you, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
It's in your son's name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and then head on over to lakewoodgrace.com slash connect where you'll find a link to contact us or you can fill out a communication card. Have a wonderful week. God bless.